Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm an IVF warrior and infertility advocate using my platform to spread awareness about infertility. And I'm Elizabeth. I'm a certified fertility coach, life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. I'm here to support and serve the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your baby home and everything along the way. Welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Where we talk about the dreams and dilemmas of life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today, we are talking with a very special woman. Her name is Emily Polverati. Did I say that right? (laughs) Polverenti. Polverenti. I kind of knew I was going to mess that up. Um, And she has a very unique story and situation that I feel is really important to share with the world because from where I sit as a fertility coach, I come across hundreds of women that are, you know, faced with this decision of what do I do with the embryos that I was told that I have. And um, in Emily's journey, she has found out that she, she herself is a product of a mosaic embryo, which is fascinating to me. She also has a variant of Turner's, which I believe you were, you found that out as a child, correct? Um, yes. There's some background to that that I can dive into. Okay, perfect. And that's why you're here. So share, start from the beginning of how you got to where you are today and how it all came about for you to learn all this information about yourself. So way back when I was a kid, I did not meet those developmental physical growth milestones. And like, I I didn't grow for like a couple of years and my parents were concerned. I feel like it was over several years, you know, I, um, I feel like it was from the time I was like four on, Okay, I was not meeting those typical growth milestones okay. that kids have. And well, I have, I'm one of four girls and my sisters, you know, my mom, I'm the third of four mm-hmm. and my mom is a nurse and, you know, she knew what to look for, you know, okay. and just, you know, she had that mom sense, you know, okay. that moms have, and they were concerned that I wasn't growing. And so every time, um, I, th- my mom would try to make an appointment or, you know, get in, I would actually grow a teeny tiny bit. So everybody else, Oh, okay. She's all right. And then it happened for like, I feel like the second or third time that my mom and dad were like, okay, something is up. She's not growing mm-hmm. and, you know, kids grow through shoe si- shoes and clothes like weeds. And I was in the same size things. And, um, when I was 11, my mom and dad had me go to children's hospital and I was tested, had a chromosomal testing because the doctor, the specialist thought I had possibly Turner, classic Turner syndrome okay. based on some of the physical characteristics. I wasn't growing. I was very small, still mm-hmm. am, still 4'11". Um, my ears sit lower on my head than someone typically does. If you think about where your ears sit, if you touch the bottom of your ears, they, if you draw a line straight across, you're going to hit just under your nose. I don't. And then your my neck is shorter. It's not as like 
I guess, long as someone else's, which I'm always self-conscious about. Um, let's see, my hairline, my, the back of my hairline is lower than someone else's. I think that might be probably the neck. You look at your fingernails, your fingernails grow straight out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mine grow up on an angle. Okay. And, and same with my toes. And so, and then one of the worst uh, characteristics is weight. You know, my whole life I struggled with maintaining healthy weight and I eat very healthy. I exercise regularly. That's really important to me, but keeping weight off is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so that was always something my parents were concerned about was all those different things. And so all the doctors, they were like, okay, she's got to have Turner's right. So they did this Turner syndrome chromosome test Mm -hmm. and it came back negative. And so this is almost 30 years ago. You were 11 again, right? I was 11. And so I guess more like 25 years ago, I'll be 37, which is wild to think about in just a couple of months. And so they were shocked that it was negative, but the doctor said, you know what, just because she doesn't have Turner syndrome doesn't mean she doesn't have some form of it, which was, I guess, really wise thinking back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, and the most important thing with classic Turner syndrome is that women with classic turn, don't make eggs. They don't have ovaries. They don't have any of that. And well, we know that I do. And I have a normal period and like, there's nothing, I'm very, very consistent with that. But you wouldn't have known that at 11, right? Wouldn't have known that at 11. And so once I did start my cycle, I was 12, you know, so my parents were like, okay, you know, all right. Um, but the doctor did say she may have trouble with fertility when she's older. Well, my parents, they're not going to tell their 11 year old child that you might have trouble getting pregnant down the road. You know what 11 year old needs to know that, you know, they figured once I'm getting, you know, closer to marriage and all of that. And sure enough, you know, we, and my mom and I had had some conversations in my twenties about it. And, you know, before I got married, she was like, okay, you know, this, this is something, to be so in your twenties, when you heard that information, how did you digest that? Were you like, um, okay, I just, I'm not close to that? Or were you like, Oh no, what does that mean for my life? You or- know, I, you know, I dated periodically in my twenties and I figured if it was something, if I was with someone serious, then it would be something I would approach my OBGYN ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't, didn't really date any serious. I wasn't this didn't meet that right person until I was 31. And once I did, that's when, um, you know, my husband and I started, you know, we talked about marriage and what our, what our family life would be like. And, you know, he kind of, he was like, well, let's just wait. We'll wait a couple of years. And I'm like, mm, I'm 31 and I'll be 34. We got, I got married when I was 34. And I was like, well, I don't want uh-huh. to wait too long. We don't know what's going to happen. So we were married in June of 2018 and August of 2018, I was like, let's go, let's, we're getting on this train, you know, and I got myself that Ava bracelet, you know, just to help me really learn how my body works. And actually it was really helpful. Yeah, it's smart. And there's a lot of great information I learned, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, given what's happened, what's happened, I, you know, it wasn't totally beneficial in the end for me in getting pregnant. However, I knew, I just knew in my gut that there was something going on. 
And did you feel like it was because of this variant of Turner's or did you feel like it was something different or I you not, it like, was, thinking about it at that point? Um, I, it was on my radar. I didn't think it would be as big of a deal. Okay. And I thought, well, it might affect me. I don't know. You know, we, we weren't certain. Mm-hmm. And so come December or November of 2018, I call, cause you know, getting into an appointment takes time. Yes. So you call, you know, and so I did, I called in like December and I fibbed. I said, we've been trying for six months. Good girl. That's I what I tell everybody. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not wasting time. I know my body. Something is not right. I'm knowing when I'm ovulating. I'm knowing what, you know, I'm very diligent about that. Something is not right. Mm-hmm. While well, we get in, in like January or February, because that's how long it takes to get an appointment. Right. Yeah. And my wonderful OBGYN, she did a full blood panel on me. My AMH was great for my age. And so we were like, okay. And then she, they did um, a semen analysis for my husband. And that's actually what triggered our referral to our fertility clinic. Oh, I didn't know this part. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, exa- that's exactly what took us. And my husband has um, low, kind of low count, mostly motility okay. and morphology was his biggest, like glaring. Okay. Uh, no, actually I remember count. Yeah. Count two. So it's all the whole shebang. Okay. And so she goes, I think I know why you're not getting pregnant. And I remember I was walking my dog and I just started crying because I thought, Oh no. Like, how do I tell him is going to be heartbroken. You know, it's, yeah. it's hard enough for women, but we can like, inter- many of us can internalize and be like, all right, we have it. We're so problem solvers. Right. We know exactly what to do. And men, that's hard to hear. Right. You know, men are supposed you to know. be like the, the breadwinners, you know, or, you know, there's a stigma with that, you know, unfortunately for men. For sure. And, and I know that th- times are turning, which is really great. More men are speaking out. And I think that's wonderful. How did he take that? Yeah, you know, he was, kind of matter of fact, like, okay, well, it's my fault. Well, except it's not his fault, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's solutions and we can, we can do this. Okay. There's, there's a way to work around it. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. You know, but there was a period of time where I do know that he felt really awful and just, you know, tried to push that away, you know, and just like, well, we know there's, he's also matter of fact, like there's people out there that can help us. Okay. Great. You know, so yeah, uh, which I know I do. I you know I'm sad about things, but I also know there's there's support and solutions, right? And um, and so we get into our. Well, I actually had an HSG test, and that was painful. That yeah, was awful. And um, I mean, I wish they would tell you ahead of time. That yeah. was my first round bout of like, okay, this is this is a procedure. And so anyway, we get into our fertility doctor. We, she goes through all her stuff. She actually does a few more semen analyses because I guess she said one, when you do one, that's not enough information. So she did another one to kind of gather some more data. And Mm -hmm. so based on that, we went through with some IUIs. We did two IUIs, did not take. And sorry, was his, was his semen, did it improve? It improved. So we were able to figure out. Cause you know, it's like three months old. Yeah. My husband is a music director and it was in the middle of marching season three months before. Okay. And that's a really high stress time for him. Okay. His diet is not as great. You know, he has works really long hours. His sleep is not, you know, so it affects everything. Yeah. This, and that's really great to point out Emily too, because people that are listening to this can know, 
it does shift, right, for men. We are able to make some changes like that and, and get a better outcome later. So that's really great. Yeah. Okay. So we did two IUIs, didn't work, took a cycle off to decide if we want to do a third one or go straight to IVF. And we're like, well, gosh, what if we just did one more? Maybe this is it. Yeah. And we did it. And actually, we had a two lines on a test. Wow. And I was like, okay, all right. And we get in for our beta and my beta was five. Oh no, I'm so sorry. And it was like, okay, I was, I was at a training and I was waiting all day for that phone call. And I actually called and I got a call back at like two and they're like, yes, you're technically pregnant, but your beta is a five. It's a biochemical pregnancy. And were you aware of that being a thing at that time? Because I know a lot mm. of people feel like I, I wasn't and it was positive. What does that even mean? Right. And I was like, can it go up? And they're like, not when it's this low. I mean, they were much more empathetic about it than I'm okay. relaying. And so we yeah. were like, okay, well, and that was in October of 2019. And that's so hard to deal with, right? Because right away, I always say, as soon as you get that positive pee stick, you like, you plan your story, right? Totally. About what's going to happen and how it's all going to go. And you're thinking about your due date, like, oh, what am I going to be doing in that time? Yes. 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 And so I feel like, you know, I just want to acknowledge that, that that is so hard to be like, so up in one moment. And then that next day or however many days later to feel like, oh, like a sucker punch, right? It was awful. And that was our first experience with loss. And I I mean, uh, that was, that was hard. I mean, it was very, very hard on both of us. And from that point on, that was a shift in my husband. He is very guarded, very cautiously optimistic, more cautious than optimistic. And which sometimes bugs me, but also I respect because he's guarding his heart. And that's his form of protection against grief and the trauma that we have experienced. And so I understand that. Yeah. And that's another great point that you just bring up, Emily, is to be aware of, you know, looking a little deeper sometimes as to why your partner may be being the way that they are. And for your husband, it sounds like that was just his form of protection. And that's pretty common for most men, especially, but some women as well. And so just to be aware of, you know, taking a step back and everybody deals with things differently. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really amazing that you were able to see that then. And I'm, I'm trying to, even today, you know, we still have moments where I'm like, I have to take a step back and think, you know, my husband has diagnosed OCD. So I already know that he processes things differently. Mm -hmm. And so knowing about that ahead, I mean, I knew that when we, before we got married, that he has that. And so I think being that aware has been, I think really helpful and helped our marriage, you know, it's really hard and he knows it's really hard to be, to have OCD and being married to someone with OCD. There are times where I'm like, ah, but Mm -hmm. I always have to take a deep breath and remember this is something he can't help. Right. You know, and this is, this is what makes him, him. And I love him and my love for him outweighs this tiny little snippet. That's annoying me or frustrating me. Right. He has no control of it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we ended up starting IVF process. Um, in December, we were actually, I started taking my very first estrace mm-hmm. on 
an airplane. We were flying to New York. My husband's kids were marching in the London New Year's Day parade, Wow, which was fun. amazing. And I remember being like, I have to take my estuaries at the right time. Except now you're like, as long as it's within like an hour or so, you're like, now Fine. you're a pro. Right. So <laughs> I remember taking it being so excited. And um, we got back from that trip and started stims. And I, I'm like clockwork since I've done it. I've done it three times. I'm like clockwork, nine days of stims. My, I respond beautifully to the meds and had my retrieval and we retrieved 10 eggs. And we we're like, this is great. I guess I didn't know it was my first one. Okay. And then you, you do the comparison eggs and you start to see, except I didn't know at that point, I didn't create my Instagram and I hadn't connected with other women. So I thought 10, is that good? We're both kind of like Okay. And our doctor's like, for you, 10 is great. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's wonderful. If you think so, we have our faith in you and trust in you. And they, we did ICSI. And so they were able to just take one sperm, put it right in with each egg. And we had five fertilized. And And I didn't know about that drop off. Okay. I just want to back up again and explain ICSI to those that may not know what that means. I mean, you've touched over that. Sure. Absolutely. ICSI is where they specifically take the sperm and fertilize it directly with an egg. Um, There are some practices where they take the egg and they put all the sperm in the same dish and hope that one takes for us. And I know at my clinic, I think they are primarily, they primarily use ICSI for fertilization. Um, I don't think they do much of, I can't remember what the other is called um, off the top of my head, but we, we did ICSI. So they take that sperm, they fertilize it with egg or hope that it fertilizes. Right. And we had five mature eggs and five fertilized. And we're like, okay, I guess this is good. Five is good. We're like five babies. Okay. (laughs) And then you have the weight, you know, the Mm -hmm. every, I think we got a day one report one fertilized, but then didn't do anything like, okay, well there's four. All right. Okay. Like trying to be poly, you know, positive poly. That's the word. (laughs) And, um, we got that day five report and I was at school and I picked up the phone. I'm like, Hey, you, cause you don't miss those phone calls. When you see your fertility clinic calling, you don't mix, you don't miss them because trying to get a hold of someone is like trying to get a hold of the president. So it takes an act of Congress to get through to, you know, what you need to. So I picked it up and she's like, do you have a moment? And my heart fell into my stomach and I had this middle room, like kind of a teacher workspace that my next door neighbor teacher and I had. And she goes, you, you have no, no embryos, no day five embryos. And I just fell apart. I mean, I held it as long as I could. I was like, thank you so much for calling because you what do you say? Do. And I remember hanging up and I just fell apart. I could not like, it's going to make me cry. Just even like thinking about that because that was so traumatic. So trauma number two, right. Yes. Failed IUI and then this, and it was just awful. I remember going into my administrator's office and it was just, I just couldn't. And she's, I, I was able to pull myself together and get myself home and they covered my class. Okay. Um, I'm a teacher. For those people who don't know, I'm a teacher. And I went home and that was, that was awful. So at our appointment, our follow-up appointment, we're like, what the heck happened? Mm-hmm. And so it was a couple of weeks after and still in January of 2020. And she basically showed us our information, what 
happen from day one, day zero to day five. And she explained that in the first few days, it's the sperm's job. I feel like we had this conversation. It's the sperm's job to like handle the fertilization. And then the egg takes over to continue. Well, once it was the egg's turn to take continue and be the boss, it, it didn't, they just, it was, they weren't, the quality just was not there. So my doctor explained to us, we have an egg quality issue, okay. which for signal turners, right. Okay. Um, which was our first clue. And, but we were, we weren't yet concerned about it. I okay. guess we should say. Okay. Because there so were, you mention it to your doctor at that point or did your very first appointment know? she knew okay. about our, our okay. possible turners, whatever. Okay. Um, syndrome diagnosis possible. And so she said, okay, well, we've got some things. And I went, we decided there's three options and we chose the option to do three months of a vitamin regimen. And then we would incorporate Omnitrope, which is a human growth hormone injection, in mm-hmm. addition to your stimulation medications that prepare you for a retrieval. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to do that, but I also knew we wanted to have the fighting chance and not have to do another retrieval because who wants to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars? Mm-hmm. And we went through with that and then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And so we were actually very fortunate in the sense that we weren't in the middle of a cycle. We were in this three month regimen and we thought, well, gosh, surely by May, because back when COVID hit, we're like, in May, life should be back to normal. Yeah. Oh, this will be in three weeks. Right. It just, it's yeah. Two weeks later by Easter, right. Everybody's going to be open. And so we were like, okay, we don't have to worry. We can just try on our own and see what happens. And, you know, of course nothing happened. (laughs) And I call and they say, she says, call me in May. And then COVID, you know, with COVID everything. So I still called. And they were only seeing IVF patients. They weren't quite seeing everybody yet. Okay. And she said, okay, come on in. We started, she started, you know, we monitored my cycle and then we started stimulation medications in June. We started that second round of IVF in June. We had, and then included that Omnitrope, Uh had my egg retrieval two days before my birthday. And so I remember being all so swollen on my actual birthday. Sorry. Uh, um, this time we retrieved 11 eggs. We're like, okay, cool. Awesome. Number. And we had six fertilize right away. One just kind of did that same thing again. Yeah. And, but five were doing their thing. And by day five, we had four embryos. Amazing. Amazing. And we sent them off to PGS test and two came back normal, which our doctor said, be prepared for 50% drop off, drop right. off. Right. And so we had two. Right. Okay. Great news. We'll take two. Yeah. Two kids. Awesome. Uh-huh. And we went forward with an ERA because of only having two. We went forward with an ERA because of my age. We're like, we don't want to mess around. We want to just rule out everything we possibly can you know, do all the things that we can to make sure that we have a successful transfer. Right. So we transferred in August of 2020. And unfortunately that did not stick. And that was hard. That happened right before school started. Okay. And 
and I started, I'd switch schools. I'm in a new place, new people who don't know me, who don't know our story and what we're going through. And that was really difficult. You know, yeah. here's your trauma number three. Okay. I'm sorry. And it just became really difficult. So mm-hmm. we decided to do another retrieval because we only had one. We wanted, we want more than one child. And we thought, well, let's go ahead and do another retrieval. So September, we took the rest of August off, started monitoring in September, retrieval in October. We had 10 eggs again. We did the same thing. We had an omnitrope, that same regiment. Okay. And so we got 10 eggs, same five again. So it seems like our lucky number five, right? We ended up having four again, day five blasts and two again, come back PGS normal. So we had four, but we had actually had four PGS normal embryos. Of course we lost that one in August, which was hard, but we had three. We were so hopeful with three. Okay, great. This is awesome. Three opportunities, which you don't think about that. It's a chance, right? So in the beginning, I wish that's something that we, people would tell you. Yes. In November, we, we are telling people, so we're help spreading the word, making it yeah. more, more aware expectations. You know? mm-hmm. And we transferred in November and I was pregnant. I was excited. And then we got our beta back and it was 22. And that sent me into a tailspin because you're like, it, betas can rise. They can be slow rising. Yes. But at 22, I mean, I was not encouraged and it was actually, my husband was actually more encouraged than I was at that point. And I was like, no, you know, you're just, I remember driving around being so mad and crying because I'm so mad. Like, what the heck? Why is this not working? What is going on? And sure enough, my second beta, it was like four, you know, it was dramatically decreased. Okay. And so we were like, what the heck is going on? We met with our doctor, of course, via Zoom, because such is life. And she said, what can we do? And that's when she said, you know, let's do the karyotyping test. Explain what karyotyping is for those that don't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, it's a genetic, or looking at your chromosomes and seeing what, is there anything abnormal within your chromosomes that could give us some answers as to what is going on with you? And so we only tested me. We did not do my husband. He's really healthy. He doesn't have any, any, you know, family history is normal. No, anything weird. Uh With me, obviously there's, we knew there were some things that we weren't sure were playing a role. And so we said, let's, let's do it. Let's do this testing We'd already done all the other kind of blood work. We did the blood work for recurrent loss. Totally fine. You know, everything was fine. So we did that. Ended up seeing my doctor. He's like, you know, I'm not a genetic counselor, but I'm going to send your paperwork to some people I know and determine if we need you to speak to a genetic counselor. And sure enough, we did. And that's when the genetic counselor said, yes, you have a variant of Turner's. I'm missing some X chromosomes. Okay. And additionally, I am a mosaic person myself looking at the chromosomes that they tested. And so when you do you the aware at that time, what that meant, like before I didn't even, I knew what mosaic embryos were. Okay. But I didn't know 
than I was. Of course. Yeah. And so I thought, oh my gosh, it is truly a miracle that I am here because, you know, sometimes mosaic embryos stick and sometimes they don't because you can have low mosaic embryos that turn out to be healthy babies. And this is why I'm so excited to be talking to you today because I want people to know that the, yes, it can't like you are actually now a healthy, I want to, don't want to spill the news because you're still in the middle of your journey, but it is possible, right? So totally possible. And, you know, you can take that chance. Right. And so when I tell people about my, me being mosaic, my parents, they ask, oh, did your parents do IVF? And I said, no, I go, my mom is fertile Myrtle. She had all four of us on one ovary. And like, I think she was on the pill when she conceived my younger sister. So, I mean, fertile Myrtle, right? Yeah. And well, two of my old, my two older sisters had kids, no problem. We thought, well, I'm going to be just like that. Right. And then here we are, obviously fast forward to where we are today. And so we, fortunately, this karyotyping chromosome blood test gave us a lot of great information. My doctor likes to say, like to nerd out on it. And it's it's great information to have for Mm -hmm. future, especially with me. And if we have a daughter, because Turner syndrome is present in women and girls. Right. And so if we end up having a girl, that's something I'm going to be like a hawk about. We're going to be on top of that making sure if there's, if that is present in a little girl that if we have a little girl, then we'll be, you know, on our game. Yeah. And unfortunately it doesn't change anything with our current embryos. So going forward, if we do a fourth retrieval, which we don't want to have to do mm-hmm. given that we, you know, we had two healthy embryos and we're like, two kids is great. Let's, this will be great. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but it would change how we would approach another retrieval. Okay. What that looks like. I don't know. We haven't gone over that because we're not there. And I imagine there might be an adjustment to protocol, you know, medication wise, maybe. And moving forward, the genetic counselor recommended we meet with a cardiologist because with women with Turner's classic Turner's and variants in pregnancy, heart problems can arise Mm -hmm. and not in it's up in the valves up top. So I had a CT scan. I had a a echocardiogram that came back beautiful, but they needed to see a CT scan to see more up in the valves of the heart. And that came back great. The next box to check off was meeting with the high risk OB because they're more, they're a lot more trained and more training in dealing with people with classic or excuse me, Turner syndrome, like variants. Mm -hmm. So I, my, when I made the high risk OB appointment, it wasn't until the end of April or mid April last week. And my husband, like, we don't want to wait that long. I got my cardio stuff done in February. Uh We are done beginning of March. We don't want to wait. We are not getting any younger. If the cardiac stuff comes back fine, let's move forward. And our doctor was like, I agree. Your cart stuff looks great. She was like, let's, let's do it. And so moving forward, we threw everything in the kitchen sink at this transfer. We added in prednisone. We added um, baby aspirin, Lovenox. I was already taking Zyrtec. So I added in myself, um, which I know a lot of people do on their own as like kind of an immune protocol, a Pepsid, like not going to hurt. You know, I didn't want to do anything extra that would hurt or interfere. 
taking a Pepsid is not going to hurt. And who knows it even played a role. We don't uh-huh, even know. Right. So we ended up transferring on March 30th and I am not a tester after all that we have been through. I have a lot of testing anxiety and I did not even test at all. Not even day of beta went in. I was, I had a lot of symptoms, but we all know that pregnancy symptoms and period symptoms are pretty much the same. I know. Isn't that a cruel joke? Such a cruel joke. It's awful. So I was really guarding my heart and protecting what I was feeling and really trying not to read too much into things. And I, I did the pineapple because I love pineapple. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I I don't, this, this transfer, I didn't really care as much about the, like the old wives tales. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I just really wanted to find joy in that two week wait. And I watched all the Harry Potters. I, I love Harry Potter. I made fun funny cake twice because I just, it was so good. It made me feel happy. Walked our dog. We spent time together, you know, just really made a priority and laugh. That was one thing we wanted to laugh and get all those good endorphins. And what do you think helped you to kind of let go this time more so than the other times? I think just being where we are in this position and knowing how little control we have over the outcome we just really let go and let God really, you know, we, we're Christians. We really just try to give it up to God and rest in our faith and trust him and really remind ourselves that his timing is perfect. Whether we like it or not for us, his timing is perfect. And if it's his timing for us, then it will, it, when it is timing, it will be. And we really just kind of washed our hands of worry, not to say that I didn't worry. And I didn't think about it of every second of every day, but I reminded myself and we prayed together and just said, if it's in your hands, God, you know, we trust you. You're going to make it work for us when it's your time for us. We know that you're, you already know our life plan from start to finish. And knowing that we, we were able to maintain our faith. Amazing because so many people struggle with that, especially their third and plus rounds, because it, it just becomes more and more of a, an anxiety point. So thank you for sharing what you guys did to kind of let go this time a little bit and find the joy within that. Yeah. And it's, it was, there were moments of hard and stress and anxiety, but we know that what does that do for you? in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't like toxic positivity. I was very real, but mm-hmm. also we rusted. We just really tried to rest in our faith and block out the noise. You know, it just, That's it's nice. so hard. And how, so back to your beta. Yeah. So we had our beta on Thursday, April 8th and it came back positive we did have a lower beta at 36, which was, okay. we were, you know, okay, this is better than last time. Right. It can go up, but there are some other women who I know real well in the community that I have met who had even lower betas than me and have graduated their clinics. And I had a sense of peace in my heart that it worked and it's going to work. And sure enough, beta two was on a Monday. So I had to wait Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
all the way till Monday afternoon for that second beta and our beta had tripled. Amazing. Yeah. And you know, it's, I feel like when I get that sense of calm and sense of peace, that's God's way of telling me I've got it. Yes, this is it. And I knew that when I moved to California, I had a sense of peace. Like there's a job for me. I know it. I'm not worried about it. There's a home for me. I'm not worrying about it. It's that same sense of peace that I had um, then that I felt this time. And that doesn't mean that I wasn't anxious for that first ultrasound at six weeks. Of course. And we had our six week ultrasound last week, last Wednesday. And we saw, didn't hear, but we did see the heartbeat, a little flutter, which our doctor was very frank when I walked in. We may or may not see anything. I mean, Uh, probably not. Yes. And to see it was, was just a miracle. Yay. And really encouraging. And we go in for our eight week appointment next week, which on Cinco de Mayo, so that baby better have a heartbeat and we better have a little party, you know, yes. a little fiesta. Taco Tuesday. Taco yeah. Tuesday on the fifth, whatever day the fifth lands yes. on. <laughs> yes, it'll be a fiesta in our in my uterus, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're overjoyed because this little embryo, I know people compare the grading, but every clinic grades their embryos differently. Right. And our embryologist was like, this is a beautiful embryo. It was a three BB embryo. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Emily, because I think it's really important for people to hear that. Yes. Our embryologist like, you know, the gradings are, please take it with a grain of salt. Cause my husband is like very black and white. Yeah. Well, we had four AA and a four AB that didn't work. What is this three BB guy? Right. And I was like, you no, we don't, we don't know. Remember the grading is just for embryology. You know, yeah. it's this little one is strong and clearly stuck and was here is here for a purpose and yeah. meaning. And we are just so grateful that it's here. And we pray that given the fact that I have this Turner's variant, that I myself am mosaic, that it agreed with my body and this is, you know, God's will of, you know, making this work and that this is a strong little, little peanut happening yes. inside the gummy bear. Yes. So. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. We're, you. we're excited. I did receive my first little gift from a friend, which was super exciting and just really thoughtful. My husband was like, this is our first baby gift. Oh my oh, gosh. So it was really, really sweet and special. So we're just trying to remain prayerful and hopeful that next week will continue to be good news and brighter days are are ahead. Mm -hmm. And in closing, do you have any advice for women that are going through and men that are going through this right now of, you know, how to keep going or whatever advice you may have? Yeah, I would say advocate for yourself, ask all the questions, seek out support for us telling our families and our friends was a huge relief on our emotional stability, you know, being able to become open and sharing. I'm an, I'm a share, I'm an overshare it. And my husband's a talker, you know, we just being able to share for us was huge. So don't feel like you have to If everybody is different. If keeping it close to your heart is how you support yourself, then keep that close to your heart. Mm-hmm. But if you need support, reach out and share because more often than not, people want to help you and want to love on you and support you. And they might not have the right words, but they're there to hear you and 
and be there for you. And that's amazing advice. Thank you so much. And we are here for you as well. And how can people find you, Emily? Well, I have, I have my infertility account. It's making baby P. Uh, that's my infertility account that I primarily share all my uh, things going on. I do have a personal account, but that's usually, that's just really for my, my family and friends and, and close proximity to me in real life. So I kind of share a lot more personal things over there, but I do share lots of IVF updates and things on my, um, making JDP account. So definitely connect with me there. I do my best to always respond to people and reach out to new people when I see them. So please, please reach out. I'm happy to be here. I'm here to support you and love on you and give you all just all my love and just guidance and how I can help and pray for you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that again and just giving people the hope and encouragement that, you know, things don't have to look perfect in order to work and to keep going forward and to lean on your, your faith and the process. And sounds like you had a great doctor and clinic that you loved as well, that I'm sure helped in that journey. So I think all of those things are so great and we can't wait to follow you on Instagram to continue to watch this. Yay. All right. Emily, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Pretty Little Tribe. And if you related to this episode, take a screenshot and hashtag Pretty Little Tribe because we want to see those in our DMs so then we can share them in our story too and give you some love back. Of course, if you have a topic idea or want to be on the podcast, email us at prettylittletribe at gmail.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks again for joining your tribe today and we will see you next time.